Thank you. Thank you, guys, for leading us in worship. Uh, well, we do welcome you. Glad you're here. Uh, those of you that are online, as well as those here in the room, uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible close by, we'd love for you to grab it, open it up. Uh, we're in chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 24 through 28 today. And so we do. We're glad you're here. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Uh, my name is Danny Forshe, pastor here at Great Hills. And uh, my wife and I, as Trey said a moment ago, would love to meet you if you're a first-time guest, especially. We meet in the coffee shop right after the service. We have a gift for you. And just love to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. And so uh, that would be fun. So we're having a good time in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts now for a number of years. And we're just going to continue on, Lord willing. Jesus might come back first before we finish. But that's okay with me. Amen? Is that okay with you? Amen. Praise the Lord. So Acts chapter 18, we'll look at verses 24 through 28 in just a moment. But today I'm going to focus in with you, as I did last week, about the grand principle of investing in other people. When you read your Bibles, even in the Old Testament, as I look at some of the relationships between Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha and others, and you come on over into the New Testament, you see Jesus and the 12, you see Paul with Timothy and Luke and Silas, Aquila and Priscilla. You see this transference of, of life and knowledge uh, from one person to a mature follower of God, follower of Christ, pouring into that next generation who then takes that sacred treasure, right, of what has been entrusted to them and given to them, and as a conduit, they hand it off to the next person or to the next generation. Now, this happens um, in healthy churches. It happens in healthy families. It happens in healthy sports teams. It happens especially in healthy corporations and businesses, the plan of transference or the plan of succession. And so especially let it happen among us as the people of God where we uh, are conduits. We, we receive so much, don't we? I mean, we receive so many spiritual blessings here in America, here in our church at Great Hills through praise and worship, through Bible study, through the public proclamation of God's Word. But what do we do with all of that? Do we just take it among ourselves and just say, well, I'm I'm happy, I've done my duty, I've gone to church, or I've attended my Bible study, or do we see it as a greater purpose to say, Lord, wait a minute, why have you blessed me so much? Why have I been born in the greatest country in all the world at such an amazing time, and, and I'm a part of a church that teaches God's Word? Why, why have you blessed me, Lord, so much? And I believe you'll find the answer in the Gospels, and you'll find the answer, especially in the life of Paul, the reason you're blessed is so that you could bless somebody else. And those who get that, those who understand that principle of transference, that principle of, uh, Robert Coleman called it the master plan of Jesus. The master plan of Jesus is to pour into others who will then go help others until the gospel spreads throughout the world. The principle in 2 Timothy, let me read this verse first to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, then we'll get into Acts. Paul says, and the things that you heard from me, he's talking to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith. He says, Timothy, all those things that you heard from me among many witnesses, I just want you to sit on them and be spiritually obese and do nothing in your life. Is that what your Bible says? That's much of what our Christianity says in America. You've received all this, now just sit and be happy and just be satisfied. That's not the Bible's way. The Bible says, these things you've heard from me, 
commit. Give these over to others, to faithful men who will be able to teach still others also. The Lord gave me an analogy while I was uh, preparing this, this message. It's the analogy of a gas pump. Now, I want you to stay with me for a moment. And then I'm going to get out of my, my gas pump analogy and go right into the book of Acts. Have you ever thought about how you get your gas? Now, I don't know how this world works with electric cars, but I know how it works with, with gas pumps. You have your vehicle. You pull up into the filling station. Anybody ever heard it called that? Come on now. Filling station, gas station, convenience store, cute quick trip, what, whatever, wherever you go. You pull your vehicle in there. You pull it up beside the gas pump. Do you know which side your gas tank is on, your car? Do you know how to know that? If you'll look on your gas gauge in your car, there will be an arrow. And whatever that arrow is pointed to will be the side that your gas tank resides in your car. You're welcome. You learn something today. You, you learn something very valuable, especially if you get a rental car. Okay, you with me? You pull up. Let's say this is the gas pump. This is it right here, okay? This is the gas. I'm in my car, and I'm taking my car, and I'm pulling it up, and my car, gas pump, gas uh, tank is on this side, the passenger side. So I pull it up like this, and I park my car. I get out, and I take that little nozzle thing, and I put it into my car because I'm going to fill my car up, right? Have you ever thought about where the gas came from? That gas came usually from a truck, a big truck, you know, a transport truck that will bring in the gas. Where does the gas go from the truck? Does the gas go from the big truck, the 18-wheeler, right into your vehicle? No. Where does it go? That's right. It goes, and I've done my research on this, by the way. Dallas, thank you. You're out there. Thank you. It pours into the reservoir. It can hold about 20,000 gallons of gas, okay? Let's say this blue carpet. Oh, this blue carpet is the, uh, is the reservoir, okay? So you got the big truck. Big truck comes, pours the gas into the reservoir, and from the reservoir, it comes into the, the gas uh, filling station pump thing into the vehicle. We are... We're this. This is who we are as Christians. We're the gas pump. The gas pump has a, has a responsibility. It is to be a conduit to get that gas out of that reservoir to the pump into the vehicle. What in the world would we think of if a gas pump wouldn't pump gas? We'd say, man, you're useless. Come on. You're supposed to get what you have and give it unto me. And that is Christianity at her finest. Is when we understand our role, that our role is just not to absorb and to receive, but it's to give it over to others. So let me ask you, who are you doing that for? Who are you pouring into, investing in, so that you can transfer that knowledge and that theology and that practical way of living unto others? Now, some of you are doing a brilliant job of this. Some of you are doing it wonderfully well with your children. That's a wonderful thing. Some of you do it in your small groups, some men with men and women with women. And so you're going to see Paul. Paul has, man, he's just figured this out. And he knows how to pour into others who then will go and do the same thing. All right, let's pick right on up in the text. It's Acts chapter 18, read verse 24. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, he was born in Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, and he came to Ephesus. 
That's very important because that's where Paul had been. Paul, on his um, second missionary journey, had stopped in Ephesus. He dropped off Aquila and Priscilla. They stayed there. He's already poured into them. They are ready. This is a dynamic missionary couple, husband and wife team in Ephesus. Paul goes on, right? He sails on over to Caesarea, goes to Jerusalem, up to Antioch. He's about to go on his third missionary journey. But before he does, he deposits, if you will, a couple of gas pumps by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And there they are in the city of Ephesus. And along comes a man by the name of Apollos. This man, verse 25, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's code for he didn't know Christ. He, he hadn't fully understood and embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew nothing of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit of coming. He didn't know about the church being birthed there in Jerusalem. He just understood the forerunner, the prophecy of John the Baptist, that that Messiah was coming, and Apollos understood that much, and he could see throughout the Old Testament how the Messiah was going to come, and he was fervent in preaching that, all right? So, he speaks boldly in the synagogue. Now, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Aquila Priscilla, discipled by Paul, pouring into Apollos, who's going to impact the world. Verse 27, and when he, Apollos, desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped. Love that phrase. Apollos great, and I didn't just help a little bit, but he greatly helped the church, those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is uh, the Christ. And I got a great uh, email this week. It's one of those, not email, I got a text. It's one of those texts that you just love to receive as a pastor. And, and the text went something like this. Somebody that you had discipled, had poured into, Brother Danny, is now leading a group that I am a part of, and we have new believers who are in our group, and we've got people a little bit nervous and timid in their faith, but they're stepping up. And you can just see them growing in their relationship with the Lord, and the person just texts me to say, I'm in that group. Thank you for pouring into our leader who is now pouring into us. And I just wanted to tell you, friends, there's no greater compliment that is the greatest compliment you can give a minister of the gospel that he's making disciples who's making disciples. Look, our great responsibility as a church is to make sure that we pass the faith along to our brothers and to our sisters. God doesn't judge us by our seating capacity. He judges us by our sending capacity. Let me say that again. God doesn't judge us by our seating capacity, how big our auditoriums are, but he judges us whether we're making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's what we're all about here uh, in our church. And I'm so grateful to God that that is what we're about and it's in our DNA. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at three movements, um, three 
scenes, if you will, if this was a, a story or a documentary. And here's how I wanna, I wanna view this, the, the text with you today. First of all, I wanna look at the man, uh, Apollos, okay? We're going to study his life and trace his testimony. It's a fascinating testimony. But moreover, I wanna look at the two people who poured into him by the names of Aquila and Priscilla. Their method was the method of Jesus. It's the method of Paul. It's the method of many of you in our church who understand and grasp discipleship. And then the third thing, I want you to look at the impact of the multitudes, the people that Apollos was able to impact because he had somebody cared enough, loved him enough to pour into him, pulled him aside. Did you see that? They pulled him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you today for the church. Thank you, God, that your plan is, is right and that, Lord, we get to participate in kingdom business. Thank you that we are about the great commission of making disciples. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that today we get to study it and we'll learn so much from your word. But Lord, I pray more than intellectual stimulation or knowledge, I pray, God, that we would take what we learn and we'd put it into action, that we would find people that we can fellowship with, that we can find people younger in the faith and that we can pour into them and encourage them and disciple them so that, Lord, they can go and do the same for somebody else. Thank you, God, for the privilege of preaching your word. Use me, Lord, we pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at Apollos here uh, for just a moment. He is from... Uh, the city of Alexandria. I want to show you where Alexandria is. Uh, Alexandria is in Egypt. It is um, a city that is heavily populated with Jewish people. Here it is. Here is uh, Africa, okay? Here is the Nile River. I don't know if you can see the N-I-L-E right there, Nile River. By the way, the Nile's over here too. Did you notice that? There's the Nile River. It's amazing how big this river is. All right, and this is Egypt, right? All this is Egypt. Here is Alexandria. You see it? Alexandria, a beautiful city on the Mediterranean Sea. And Alexandria is known for two primary things. Number one, it had a large population of Jewish people. The Bible says Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria. Not only was a Jew, but he was a very eloquent speaker. He was a debater. He was someone that you did not want to get in an argument with because not only did he have a bright mind, but he had a golden tongue, and that was a deadly combination if you were his adversary, okay? So he's very gifted, but check this out. Alec, where'd Alexandria go? There he is, there's Alexandria. Alexandria had the largest library in the world. That is very significant. The largest library in the known world then was located right here in Africa in Alexandria. So you take these two things, these two little tidbits of knowledge. He is a Jew, large Jewish population. Don't you think maybe Paulus visited the library a time or two? And he has this, this eloquence. He has this intellectual acumen, this knowledge. In fact, verse 24 says he was an eloquent man. And he, um, in verse 24, it says, he was born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. Now, when it says scriptures, think of your Old Testament, okay? He understood thoroughly the Old Testament, and he came to Ephesus. The word there, 
that says he was uh, eloquent is the only time this word is used in the entire Greek New Testament. Uh, Lagios. Lagios sounds a lot like logos, word. So he, um, he's mighty in the Old Testament. He understands the Old Testament, all those prophecies pointing to the Messiah. And then it says he's, he's dunatos. It's where we get this word dynamite or dynamism. So he's eloquent, lagios. He's mighty, dunatos, in the scriptures. This man, Apollos, he travels from Alexandria and he makes his way on into Ephesus. Why? We don't know. All we know is that he lands in Ephesus, and that is not an accident. Look at verse uh, 25. This man had been instructed. Now, Luke is going to tell us a lot about Apollos, and everything he tells us is really important. When it says that this man was instructed, it's a compound word in, in Greek. It's kata echo. Kato means again, and echo means to sound forth. It's like, well, that's where we get our English word echo. Echo, echo, echo. You hear it over and over and over again. When the Bible says that Apollos was instructed, which means he heard over and over again. This was the oral method of learning that the Jews had mastered. They repeated over and over. Some of you are studying, many of you students. I mean, you're studying, you're in the deep, <laughs> you're just in it. I mean... And I don't envy you at all. Bless your soul. You are studying in college or high school, middle school. And how do you learn? I don't know how you learn, but the way I learned is I had to repeat it over and over again. I had to look at that chemical chart and I had to look at all those and I had to memorize it over and over again. Well, that's what he did with the Bible. So he was so deeply instructed in the things of God. He had this great mind, this golden tongue, and now he makes his way uh, to Ephesus. He's fervent in spirit. He spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord. Now here it comes. Though he only knew the baptism of John, which means he was a disciple of, basically of John the Baptist. Now, it, the Bible doesn't say how he knew of John the Baptist or maybe after John the Baptist had passed off the scene, others carried on the John the Baptist uh, a prophetic ministry. We, we don't know. All we know is what the scripture says, that he only knew the baptism of John. Remember what John did. John was the forerunner. He was the prince of pointing other people to the Messiah. And somehow Ephesus, and, and, and Apollos comes to Ephesus, and he understands this. He understands that Jesus Christ is coming and, and he, when he comes, he's going to change the world. John the Baptist believed that. John the Baptist, he, he prophesied that. And so there Apollos is, and he's so eloquent, and he's, and he's arguing systematically from the Old Testament and all those prophecies in the Old Testament that are pointing to the New Testament, pointing to Jesus Christ, though he didn't know Jesus Christ personally. Now, some of you are having a hard time understanding that, but you have to think pre-internet, <laughs> pre-cell phones, pre-television, pre-mass communication. They didn't have any of that back then, so things traveled slowly, and he was ardent, he was fervent, he was powerful, he was eloquent in what he knew. Okay, this is, this is Apollos. I like what one writer, he puts it this way. John MacArthur says, he expounded with force and persuasion the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. But he did not understand the significance of Christ's death and resurrection. Nor 
Was he acquainted with the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost? In short, this man, Apollos, was an Old Testament saint. And that's what he was, like John the Baptist. Apollos, though, reminds me of one of the great preachers in the, in the history of Christendom, a man by the name of John Wesley. Uh, Apollos and John Wesley, fervent in spirit, very intellectual and knowledgeable, but needed somebody, needed somebody to connect the dots, to show them, look, you're very, very close, but here's what you need to understand. And, the, and it happened to John Wesley. John Wesley said, I went to America to evangelize the Indians, but who will evangelize me? He said that in the 1730s as he sailed over from England to these Nasset colonies here in America. And he goes and he's evangelizing, he's witnessing to the Indians, and he says, I was pitiful. He said, I was terrible. I couldn't lead anybody to the Lord. He gets back on the boat and he's sailing back to England and he feels terrible about his ministry and he's under conviction. John Wesley, like George Whitfield, were members of a group at Oxford University called the Holy Club. In the Holy Club, they would study the Bible, they would pray, they would fast, they would memorize portions of the Greek New Testament, but they did not know the Lord. You say, well, how could that be? They just hadn't made that connection that the just shall live by faith. Like Martin Luther, and you, you got a whole list of pastors and preachers through the centuries who were so close, and they had so much knowledge, but, but they hadn't connected the dots until Peter Bowler met with him. Peter Bowler is the Aquila and Priscilla in our story. They're on the ship, and John Wesley is under conviction. He's confused, and Peter Bowler, a Moravian missionary goes up to him and he says, Mr. Wesley, can I help you a moment? And he says, well, sure. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to quit trying to earn your salvation. You need to believe in Jesus Christ, that he is sufficient, that he died on the cross, he arose from the dead. You put your faith and trust in him, Wesley. That's all you gotta do. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't make God favor you and love you. He loves you. He demonstrated it on the cross. Receive Christ by faith. And John Wesley said, thank you for sharing that with me. All right, so he goes to London. He goes to Aldersgate Street. And the date is May the 24th, 1738. And this is significant, especially if you're a Methodist, is this significant. John Wesley goes to the service someone stood up and read the preface to the book of Romans that Martin Luther had written. Now, Paul wrote Romans, right? But Martin Luther wrote a commentary, a preface to the book of Romans. Why? Because in 1516, Martin Luther, while studying the book of Romans, gave his life to Christ, okay? So as the person is reading the preface to the book of Romans by Martin Luther, Here's what John Wesley said. These are some famous words in Christendom. About a quarter before nine o'clock, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith, through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely, strangely warmed, uh, strangely warmed. I felt I trusted in Christ, Christ alone. For salvation, an assurance was given me that Jesus had taken away my sins, even mine. 
And he had saved me from the law of sin and death. And that's the conversion of John Wesley. It reminds me a lot of the conversion of Apollos from Alexandria who lands in Ephesus and Aquila and Priscilla showed him the way of the Lord. You say, what's so significant about Wesley? John Wesley, along with his brother Charles, they formed the Methodist denomination. But did you know that because of the revival that God used through the Wesleys, it saved England the bloodbath of the French Revolution? And that is true. That is documented. Because of the influx of religion, if you will, really Christianity on fire, the gospel revival happening, England was spared the bloodshed of the French Revolution. So how did Apollos go from great orator and preacher of the Old Testament and the things concerning Jesus Christ, how did he go from that to being in our Bibles? You remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I planted who watered? Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Thank you for asking that question. That is a great question. How does he go from an Old Testament saint to a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ? Two words, Aquila, Priscilla. Those two, that missionary couple in Ephesus, this is the method in verse 26. So, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and Aquila and Priscilla heard him, okay? And then notice what they did, Great Hills. They took him aside. Notice they didn't publicly rebuke him. They didn't say, Apollos, that's heresy. You don't know what you're talking about. Jesus Christ has already come. Why are you keep preaching that he's coming? He's already come. They didn't do that. They said, hey, can, would you come over to our house for dinner? In fact, some translations say in their home for dinner. Aquila and Priscilla said, hey, Apollos, man, you, man, you're gifted. God has given you so many gifts and you understand so many things about the Old Testament, but let us share with you that Jesus Christ has already come, that he died. He arose from the dead. He was and is the promised Messiah. The Holy Spirit of God has come at Pentecost. The birth of the church has happened. And Aquila and Priscilla pulled him aside and shared with him more accurately the, the things of God. Another writer puts it this way. They certainly lovingly completed his theological picture. Apollos of Alexandria at this time became born again, baptized with the Spirit this godly couple's attitude made all the difference. Robert Coleman calls it impartation. It's when you impart that knowledge and that, that corpus of doctrine that you know is so important. And, and, and many of you may be thinking, but, but you know, I don't know that I could ever do that. I, I, you know, and here's why I want to push back, and I really want to lean into you on this, because this is the great delusion, the lie of the enemy in the church today. You don't know enough. You're not spiritual enough. Who is going to ever believe you? Look at your life and all of your mistakes. And what y'all do, most of you in this room believe that. You believe it. You know how I know you believe it? Because you're not discipling and investing in other people. You're like, oh, Oh, shucks, I'm just, I'm just me. I guess I'll just go to church and I'll just listen to Brother Danny. 
I'm glad he studies and he knows his Bible. Well, I'm just going to go and listen to him and I may go to my, my Sunday school, my connect, whatever they call it these days, connect, hum, some, some, connect group, whatever it is, and I'll just go to that, my Bible life class, and I'll just, I'll just do the best I can, Brother Danny. I'll just go on through life and, and I'll, just, I'll just show up next Sunday and then I'll come along and listen to you preach again. And I just want you to tell you something. The enemy has captured your heart. You know enough. You know plenty. You know Jesus Christ. He lives within your heart. And you just need to say, hey, I'm going to do something about this knowledge. I'm going to disciple my kids. Praise God. Let's start there. Then I'm going to reach out to, to people that I can pour into and talk to and love on. Let me tell you something. Here's a prayer that God loves to answer. Lord, show me. Show me who it is. Ladies, show me another lady that I might be able to disciple and help them grow in their faith. Men, show me, oh God, who it is. Can you imagine Aquila and Priscilla saying, Lord, send me somebody, God. Send us somebody that we can disciple who will change this world. And God says, here he is. His name is Apollos. And their method was to meet with him privately. Verse 26, it says, and they, hurt, they took him aside and then they explain to him more accurately. This is the plan. Praise the Lord, Aquila and Priscilla, Mr. and Mrs. Gas Pump. They got it. They got it. They, Paul had poured into Aquila and Priscilla. You can read it in Acts 18. He spent time with them. He's mentoring them, discipling them. And then when he leaves, they're still at Ephesus. And, and here comes Apollos. He drives up in his gas chariot. All right, and he pulls up. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they just start pouring into him and loving on him and instructing him. And as they do, this is making disciples. Making disciples is not just having somebody pray a sinner's prayer. Making disciples is have somebody pray a sinner's prayer and then working with them, helping them, investing in them so that they get to the point where they can do it for somebody else. I'm so glad. I'm so glad Apollos did not say, hey, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, thanks, but no thanks. What can a couple of tent makers teach me, the mighty, eloquent man of God, Apollos, that I am? Aren't you glad he didn't do that? He didn't say, I'm all erudite and all arrogant. He just said, okay, y'all know a whole lot more about this than I do. Won't you share with me? And they did. It took humility on Apollos' part. Christianity moves along these relational lines where you have a, a man of God, a woman of God that will pour into the next generation Look, your next generation may be somebody older than you, but it may be somebody who's just a little bit not, not as far along as you in, in your faith. Okay, let me, let me move on and close up. And number three is, is how all of this comes together. The multitudes are impacted through Apollos' ministry. Let me read it again, verse 27 and 28. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, Achaia, should I get my map out? Mm. Yeah, I think I should. Let me, let, me get, let me get my map out one more time, okay? Y'all find the map. We're going to look at it, okay? Achaia, it doesn't say it on the map, but Achaia is right here. It encompasses all of Greece and Corinth and Athens and all of this area here. 
Some maps have it A-C-H-E-A, A-C-H-I-A, and it stretches. It's kind of like Macedonia, big region, Pontus, Galatia, Phrygia, Cappadocia, those kind of big, big words. If you think of the word Achaia, it's right here, okay? Hold on, hold that thought. Now, when he desired to cross to Achaia from Ephesus, the brethren in Ephesus wrote, they wrote exhorting the disciples to receive this man, and when he arrived, ooh, do you see it in your Bibles? I hope, you're, I hope you have your Bible open. He, he arrived and he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. You know where I believe he landed? I believe he landed in Corinth. I think that's where he, he planted his life. I think Ephesus was probably thinking, man, we're about to lose a great preacher. I mean, this guy is eloquent. And now that he's saved and filled with the Spirit, whoo, man, listen to him preach. I mean, we could use a guy like that in Ephesus, but that's not where God put him. God called him to go to Corinth. And the reason I know that is because of this verse. Let's put it on the screen. I want to show it to you. Many of you have it memorized. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But we are ministers of the gospel through whom you, Corinthians, you believed as the Lord gave to each one. And in verse six, are you with me? I planted, Paul said, Apollos. That's the same guy. I want to tell you guys, his name would not be recorded in the word of God in 1 Corinthians had the apostle Paul not poured into Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla, praise the Lord, loved this guy enough to gently rebuke him and explain to him further the way of the gospel. And there he is, there he went, there he is. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Man, it's simple, but it is the way uh, Christianity moves. It moves along these relational tracks. And that's what Jim Putman says. He says, all you need to have a good discipleship group is you gotta have somebody who's intentional to lead it. You gotta have a relationship with the person. And then you just gotta have a process. You just gotta have a time of meeting, a time of sharing, a time of holding accountable. I wanna close with these two things that Apollos did. He did two things that are, that are so praiseworthy at his new assignment in Corinth. Number one, he discipled people in verse 27. Do you see it? He, it says, and when he arrived, he greatly helped, in verse 27, those who had already believed through grace. So Apollos takes this knowledge and he, and he takes these gifts and these skills and when he lands in Corinth, he disciples the people. He, he preaches to them. He shares with them those who had already received Christ. And I think that's the greatest role of a pastor then as it is today. My greatest contribution, my greatest goal. And so what if I run the risk of, of boring you? My, my greatest responsibility to God is to pass on to you a knowledge of this book, the knowledge of the scriptures. And so you say, well, Brother Danny, is that why we look at maps and talk about Ephesus and Greek words and that sort of thing? Yes, because here's my goal. My goal is that when you do come, that your heart is full and stirred, but your mind, you, you, you absorb the nutrients of the word of God so that you can do what? So you can go greatly help somebody else. And many of you are doing that. And it, it, it really is astounding 
as I get to hear and get to see and to witness many of you who, who take this knowledge and you meet with others and, and somebody called Great Hills Baptist Church, they called Rudy's Great Hills North one time. Because <laughs> we had so many guys meeting at Rudy's, not on a Sunday, but on a Tuesday morning for tacos as they were discipling one another and encouraging one another. And that's what, that, that's what Apollos does. Here's, here's, my, here's my favorite verse in the Bible when it comes to ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, and Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some are evangelists and some are pastors and teachers. And here's what they do. They equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints are youths, the body of Christ, the church. Pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet types. What we do is we, we love you and we share with you the word of God so that you would go and do the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ. Uh, I'm just, I am just a gas pump. I've had a lot of people pour into my life. I, I never was discipled like many of you are being discipled and, and like I'm discipling. I, I never had that. I had what do you call that word, osmosis or proxy discipleship? I had people almost at a distance accidentally pouring into me, especially in seminary. And people like Roy Fish, Dr. Fish, he taught 20,000 students in uh, 40 years. And some of the people you would recognize, Steve Gaines, pastor at Bellevue, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Warren at Saddleback, and, and 20,000 others. And, and I went to seminary and I just took him for everything he offered. From the PhD level to the master's level, whatever level he was on, that's the level I wanted to get on. I wanted to learn everything I possibly could from him. And here's why. Not only had a gifted mind, but his, hot, his heart was hot for Jesus. And those are my heroes. My heroes are people who are gifted mentally, and that's important. But more importantly than that, they have this spirit of they want to teach, they want to encourage, they want to build you up in your faith. Another person that I've had so much respect for through the years, and he continues to impact my life. He's well into his 80s, and his name is Jim Henry. Jim Henry was the pastor at First Baptist Church of Orlando, Florida forever, for 29 and a half years. And I'm going to interview him this Tuesday on, on my podcast. I can't wait. I'm just get to, I just get to listen to him as he, as he continues to disciple me and, and, and pour into me and share tidbits of knowledge with me that I did not know. He says, do you know what the three hardest jobs in America are? And I was like, I don't know, but I can guess one of them. I think I can guess one of them. He says, well, I'll tell you, Peter Drucker said, y'all know who Peter Drucker is? He's not a theologian. He is, a, I think he's one of the Ivy League schools. I should know this, but he's a guru of leadership, Right. Peter Drucker says the three hardest jobs in America are, number one, the president of the United States. How would you like to have that job? <laughs> That'd be a terrible job, right? I mean, yeah, that's the hardest job in the world. At least it's the hardest job in, in America. And I pray whether his last name is Obama, Trump, Biden, I don't care what his name is, I pray for him. I pray God gives him wisdom and courage and knowledge, and I pray that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Number one is the president of the United States. Number two, anybody want to guess what the second hardest job in America is? According to Peter Drucker, the guru expert of leadership. Sorry? The vice president. No? The president of a local college or university. And you think about that. 
herding cats of faculty, <laughs> responsibility for the student body, casting that vision. And, he, and this is Peter Drucker, this is, this is not me. The president of the United States, the president of a local college and university, and number three, a pastor of a local church. Those are the three hardest jobs in America. You, you may not know the president of the United States. <laughs> you may not know, a pre- how many of y'all know a president of a university? I, I kind of, I do. Any, anybody know a president of a university, a college, a seminary, anybody like that? Some of y'all do. How many of y'all know a, a pastor? I'm just curious. <laughs> Some of y'all, I have my, have my doubts, but anyhow. Jim Henry shared that with me. And then he just starts pouring into me. And he starts sharing about how you can encourage pastors. And I hope you'll listen to the, to the podcast. We're gonna finish it off. We started it, and a couple hours later, we, we weren't able to finish it because we just had some technical difficulties. But uh, people like that, humble, that wanna pour into you, pour into me, and, and so that you're encouraged. Let, 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 me say this, let me say this from my heart. Encourage the people around you. Encourage your your pastor. I promise you he needs it. He has plenty of critics. He has plenty of, of, of difficult people. Encourage that person. Whether it's in this church or God leads you to some other church or, or wherever you may land in your local city or your community, encourage that person because he's fighting demons you know not of. Peter Drucker says the third hardest job in the world. You sound like you're preaching about yourself. Well, I guess I am. One of the things I did when I was a faculty member at a seminary is I got involved in a local church and I, I found out what I could do to help that local church pastor. He liked to play golf, so I'd go buy him golf clubs. I'd go buy him golf balls. And I wanted to be the kind of church member that it was sad when I left, right? I don't need any golf clubs, by the way. I'm good. I, I got all the, go- y'all gave me a whole new set of golf clubs. I just can't hit them worth a darn. But anyhow, I, I, I enjoy, enjoy playing Encourage people. Pull, pull them aside and say, here, I want to encourage you in your walk with God. This, this is the master plan. Not only did Paulus disciple, but he evangelized. You can read it. He's up there refuting the people of, of, um, in Ephesus, he's, or in Corinth. He's, he's making disciples. He's being the man of God that God's calling to be. Why? Because he has been poured into. People have poured into him. Pray for, look, look, church, did y'all see? They wrote a letter of recommendation. The church there in Ephesus says, Dear church in Corinth, we want to commend to you this guy. Use him. I mean, he is a man of God. Put him to work. We can vouch for him. Aquila, I, I, Priscilla, we have poured into him. Paul poured into us. He's the real deal. Go uh, and use him. Can y'all imagine? what Christianity would look like, what the church in America would look like if we were all in this together and we're all were encouraging one another to be the best we could be for the Lord. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't it be awesome? It's 12 o'clock. That's interesting. I just looked up there and it's 12 o'clock. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. Did, did you notice that? Squirrel, 12 o'clock. So. <laughs> there, there it is. Oh. All right. If the Lord wills, next Sunday we will pick up chapter 19. And if the Lord wills, the Sunday after that, you're going to get a blessing.
that you know not of. I've got a guy coming that's gonna preach for us. Uh, it's March 19th. He, he is a disciple maker. He is a tall drink of water. He is, um, uh, he is my friend. His name's Dave Owen. He discipled U.S. Open champion Webb Simpson, uh, wonderful golfer, but Dave Owen has poured into people like that. He's he makes disciples, all, and I can't wait for him to come and share some of, his, uh, some of his experiences with us as a church. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We're gonna have a time of just consecration and dedication of our hearts to the Lord, and then we're gonna go. We're gonna go forward. I pray that you go forward today with a heart that's full, a mind that's full, a determination, a resolve in your will to make disciples, to be an encourager, uh, to come alongside other people and say, how can I help you? How can I encourage you in your walk with the Lord? So many of you do that well. And I, I just commend you. Thank you, Great Hills. There, This is a church full of disciple makers. And I know there's a lot that's not. And I know there's a lot of you that just feel like you can't do this. You don't know enough. You don't, you're not spiritual enough. And all those other lies that the devil tells you. I'm just gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that God, you'd raise up men and women and students who are so zealous for you, on fire for you. Thank you, God. They, they know a lot. They know more than enough to be a good disciple maker. Would you use them, Lord? Would you cause them to be men and women and students of encouragement? Not to tear somebody down, not to lord it over them, their spirituality, but to say, hey, I wanna help you. I wanna encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Thank you, God, for Aquila and Priscilla. Thank you for this dynamic missionary couple that poured into a man named Apollos who went and changed a whole region for Christ. In Great Hills, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just lay something heavy on you. You ready? Who knows? Who knows? The person that the Holy Spirit might lead you to may, may be another Apollos, a John Wesley, a George Whitfield, a Billy Graham. Who knows? I guarantee you, Mordecai Ham, when he was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina, he had no idea that that 16-year-old country boy from North Carolina would get saved and preach the gospel to more people than anybody. Billy Graham. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead us by your spirit? Would you direct us? And people that are humble, people that are faithful, people who want to learn, people who want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, would you lead us to those people so that we could not only publicly preach and encourage them, but Lord, we could personally disciple them so that the kingdom of God grows the way that Jesus intended it to, the master plan. Maybe you're here today and, whew, maybe this has been a lot. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I just, I need this. I, I need somebody to help me. Well, you've landed. You just so happen to land in the right place at the right time because we have men and women who are ready, ready to disciple you, ready to begin to pour into you and help you grow to the point where you can help somebody else. You just need to let somebody know. If you can't find anybody or think of anything else, just send an email to info at ghbc.org. I'm serious. 
You send an email to info at ghbc.org. There'll be a couple of people who'll grab that. One of them will be Ross. Another one will be Daniel. And, and they'll, Becky, they, they'll make it happen. They'll just make it happen. They will help you if you're willing to be discipled. Maybe you're here today and I'm praying for you. You might be a Wesley. You might be a Luther, a Whitfield. You may be somebody who knows a lot, but you have never connected the dots. You're still trying to earn what God freely offers. I remember reading the testimony of Mary Lou. God bless her. Thank you. Now that's an encourager. She sent her testimony to me a few weeks ago and in church for 50 years and didn't know Christ. And she said, but when I came to know Jesus, he changed everything. The thing he especially changed was my tongue and the way I talked about people and the way I talked to people. Some of you just need to meet the Lord. I pray for you right now that you would receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. I, I plead, those of you that are online, I hope you hear my heart today. And those of you that are here today, would I, would I share with this with you in, in love that you would repent of your sins and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation? You say, well, how do I know I need to be saved? What kind of life do you live? How do I know I need to be saved? What kind of life do you live will give you the answer. If you're constantly critical and angry, if church is really a bore to you, and there's no fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, may I introduce to you Jesus Christ. He will change your life. Look, I'm talking to you from experience. I am no Wesley, and I am certainly no Apollos, but I was saved as a preacher. I tried so hard to earn the favor of God. Until somebody, Johnny was his name, he came alongside me at the university I was attending. He said, you know, you really can't earn it. You just have to trust in Christ. And I did. And my little heart was strangely warmed. And I was baptized. And now here I am 40 years later preaching the gospel. Is there anybody else like that here today? I'm just, I'm just curious. If that is you, then when we stand to our feet in a moment, I'd love for you just to walk down the aisle Take one of these men, one of these women. My eyes are closed, so I don't know if our pastors and directors are here at the altar. Not. I hope y'all are. I hope ladies, you're here. Men, you're here. And when we stand, and I close this prayer, when I say, amen, I want you to start walking. Just start walking towards one of us. And one of two things, say, pray for me. I need Christ. Or number two, say, pray for me. I need to get busy. I need to start discipling people and helping other people. I need to quit being so critical and I need to start encouraging people. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would do a sweet work of grace. And it may be unexpected, Lord. People may have come to church today totally unexpected that they would get saved or that you would touch them and they would become a, a powerful woman of God, a man of God who would be a discipler. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as we sing and as you come.